So this morning as we talk about the uh, church once again, the church that Jesus built, the church that Jesus loved, as uh, he said, I, he shed his blood for his church. I believe it's very viable, very important. It is a spiritual house. This uh, building is not the church. It's a place, and a wonderful place that the church has blessed us with where we can meet. Uh, I'm guilty often of calling it the church. I know better, but I do. And yesterday I was driving looking at some leaves again, and we'd see an old church building, and I'd say church. Uh, I know the difference, but it's, it's kind of hard uh, sometimes to, uh, to say that every time. But the church is made up of living stones. It is a spiritual house. And uh, this building is not, uh, is not the church. It is a wonderful building. I'm, we've been blessed to have it. But it is not the, the church. So uh, as we look at this again, uh, some of the things we've looked at and studied is the church. It's, the Greek word is ekklesia, and it's a called-out assembly specifically for, or well, generally for worship. That's what the word church or ekklesia means. We talked about the vine and branches, which doesn't mention the word church. And many times you can see the teaching of the church without the word church being mentioned, but the vine and the branches. And we see the importance of the church there. He's the vine, we're the branches. We would only bear the fruit that he produces. We don't produce the fruit, we would only bear the fruit. Uh, and of course that fruit is a sacrifice of praise, Fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That's the acceptable sacrifice. Uh, we talked about the comforter. We talked about the comforter a lot. i uh, so grateful for the comforter. The comforter is a, a particular office of the Holy Spirit. The Holy, as Jesus had different offices. And, you know, he was... Certainly, he was the sacrifice. He was our sacrifice, as typified in Old Testament sacrifices. But he was also our high priest. And you say, well, he couldn't be both. If he's a sacrifice, he couldn't offer himself up. Well, yes, he did. So, but a completely different office. He was the first comforter. He's the, 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 the good shepherd, the great shepherd. So he had many different offices, and, and they're distinct. So as we look at the Holy Spirit in the office of the abiding comforter, we don't want to get confused. The Holy Spirit has other offices. There's the Spirit of life. Certainly has to work in us uh, before we're members of the body uh, or we wouldn't have the desire or see the reason to be a member of the body. So the comforter is the abiding Holy Spirit in the body of Christ that he placed there on the day of Pentecost. Uh, and when we see that, then we can see why the fruit bearing is in the Lord's church. Um, we may, again, well, what difference does it make? Well, it's, it's what the Lord said is what makes the difference. So uh, the fruit bearing is in the Lord's church. It is connected to the vine, and it's because of that comforter. I, I never did like the reason whenever I was younger uh, I'd ask, well, why to my parents? And uh, sometimes I'd get an answer, why? Sometimes just because I said so, that's why. And I knew, don't go any farther, <laughs> you know, just because I said so. I never did like that answer, actually. Uh, but the church, we, we want to know why. why. Why is it important? Why is it valuable? And when we studied about the vine and the branches, we don't want to get confused with, Who's going to heaven? Who's going to the lake of fire? That's the vine of branches is specifically talking about fruit bearing. So we want to uh, not get that confused as well. The church is the body of Christ, as we can read many places. Colossians, uh, one of them. And he's the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone had to be in place before we could have the official church of New Testament. And he's also the head of the church. And I'll say churches, because we had the first church, and out of that we have other churches. The priest was important to understand the, uh, part of the importance of the church. In the Old Testament, which is uh, type and shadows, uh, 
But we had the Old Testament priesthood, and we need to understand that. The Old Testament priesthood, and we'll, we'll talk some about that and see uh, the importance of that. But the Old Testament priesthood had to be of the elect nation of Israel. Out of that had to be of the elect tribe, the Levites. And out of that had to be elect people, the seed of Aaron. So we have an elect within the elect within the elect. I think we'll see that in the afterlife as well, which is not our topic this morning. So the Levites were chosen by God to offer up. Well, the Levites as a tribe uh, had the, the care of the tabernacle, putting it together, taking it down, moving it. And then the priests were the one that offered the sacrifices in there. We talked about Korah, who was of the tribe of Levi, but he was not the seed of Aaron and uh, they desperately wanted to offer sacrifices, uh, but they were not priestly material, and God killed them. And, uh, well, we, we talked about that some, too. Uh, so, in the Lord's New Testament churches, uh, offer up spiritual sacrifices. They offered up the blood of bulls and goats. We offer up sacrifices, but they're spiritual sacrifices. Sacrifice of praise, fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. If we give thanks to ourselves or boast in ourselves, it's not acceptable sacrifice. So, uh, let's see. So, and we, we discussed, is it a local church with authority, or is it one big universal church? Local church, each one course coming from the first church but each one having its authority uh, and separate authority from the other New Testament churches. Universal church would be just a well a universal group of people and once you believe you're automatically part of that big universal church and that's believed by a lot I'll put it that way. Uh, but in the scriptures, we see the word churches, plural, used about 35 times, I believe, in the New Testament. Uh, we had the first church in Jerusalem, and out of that, other churches were established. Revelation speaks of seven churches, independent uh, churches. But yet, when one was singled out, it was addressed as a church, the church in Philadelphia, the church of Sardis. Uh, there's a church at Corinth. The Lord had a church at Corinth. He didn't have part of a church at Corinth. He had it, it was a church at Corinth. Uh, we see Paul called elders of a certain church. It wasn't universal. He called for the elders of a certain body, a certain church. Again, came from the first church at Jerusalem. Uh, there was instances where it's said to bring it before the church. Well, if it's a universal church, how's that going to be? And I guess you'd have to have one supreme leader or something, maybe. We, well, I won't go any further than that. Uh, we also studied a little bit about where the Lord said, I'll remove the candlestick from its place. And the candlestick is light, which is the comforter. And we talked about how he could do that uh, in the uh, Lord's true churches. Uh, let me briefly mention this. I heard an argument of two brethren. Uh, we were in Florida. And I heard part of the, I wasn't at the start of it, but I heard part of this conversation. And one said, uh, was quoting, said, he'll remove the candlestick from his place. And the other one said, he promised he would never leave us comfortless. And they were both right and they were both wrong if you want to look at it that way. Well, how could he... Uh, I was going to say this side and this side. I better not do that. I'll surely get in trouble. But uh, uh, let's say we got people sitting back over it here, 
And then we got you good people out there trying to keep myself out of trouble. But let's say you were led by the comforter, part of the body. We have these people over here. We may have thought this part of the body, maybe baptized, but actually they'd be sitting in pews among you. Uh, but if the Lord would say he was going to remove the candlestick from his place, how would he do that? Uh, maybe because of these people here, he was going to remove the candlestick. But how's he going to remove the comforter without breaking his promise to you? Because he said, I won't leave you comfortless. Well, it doesn't, doesn't mean that, okay, on this certain day, the Lord is not concerned about time as, as we are. So gradually, one by one, the Lord could take you home, uh, could move you somewhere else, uh, things like that. And maybe these people would still be left here, sitting in pews. But the comfort would be gone. He'd never promised it to these. But yet, when all the, those that were left of the comforter were gone, then you still have a group of people here, but not have the comforter, not have the candlestick. Now, if it's one big universal church, how could that be? The answer is it couldn't. He couldn't remove it from its place without breaking promise to those uh, that he promised the comforter to. So you know, many, many different things uh, but it, uh, to show that it's not a universal church. And then you might say, well, is it one big church in heaven? I don't think it's proper to use the word church about the afterlife. Uh, there will be a bride, but I, I don't think we'll, in fact, I don't think you'll find scriptures that talks about there's a church in our afterlife. Uh, certainly there is an afterlife. Uh, there will be, we hear it spoken of as a bride of Christ. I believe, I believe Jesus has the bride of Christ and then Israel will be the wife of God. Uh, something else that maybe we'll study on again sometime. Uh, the bride will come out of the church. Each one, each member of the bride will have come through uh, one of his true churches. I don't believe everybody that's part of the church is necessarily in the bride. Uh, and then we start talking about fruit bearing, things like that. So that's, but I, just don't get mixed up. Here on earth, it's the age of the churches. We had the age of Israel under the letter of the law, not understanding that all that was teaching about Christ, it was type and shadow. So there's different ages. But we don't want to get the church age confused with the afterlife. There is an afterlife. But I don't believe it's proper to say, call it the church at that particular time. Okay, so let's try to, uh, to move on a little bit. In 1 Kings chapter 12, and we talked about this uh, recently in one of our studies on this, but I'd like to go just a little farther. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 12, and this is, we're talking about Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And, uh, well, let, let's, let's look at it and see. I think this will help us understand uh, the church today. Uh, so, First uh, Kings chapter 12, verse 31. And he made an house of high places and made priests out of the lowest of the people, which were not of the sons of Levi. Now, this is Jeroboam. And he made priests. Well, how do you make priests? Well, how do you make uh, anything? Uh, how do you make a cake? Well, you put this ingredient and this ingredient and this ingredient, and, and uh, then you have, a, you have a cake. I understand a couple of you really like red velvet cake, so I can't tell you how to make it. But, uh, but anyway, there's a, there's a procedure. So how do you make priests? Here, Jeroboam made priests out of the lowest of the people. Well, to make a priest, they would take, they would, they would wash them, 
They were anointed with oil from above. It was poured on from above, a special oil. And uh, they were getting, given certain clothing. Uh, but Jeroboam said he made priests. But we'll see, we'll read, this became sin unto Jeroboam. Why? He went through all these procedures. He, he washed them. They poured oil on from above. Uh, they had certain garments for them. But they didn't start out with priestly material. Priestly material is of the elect nation of Israel, the elect type of Levites, and out of the Levites, the elect uh, seed of Aaron. You start out with that, then you make priests. You go through this procedure. If you go through uh, the genealogy of another tribe, which is elect of God, but not elect to be the priesthood. So this is what Jeroboam did when the, the kingdoms were, were separated or divided. He made priests of the lowest of the people. Does it make any difference? I mean, if they go and they offer bulls and goats, and they offer it on the same day and everything, does it make any difference to God? We'll see that it does. Uh, so, let's see. First uh, Kings uh, chapter 12. And uh, let's see. Verse 25, I believe, if I can find it. Okay. Yeah. First uh, Kings 12 and, and 25. Or first, let's read 11.43 first. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his stead. So we had, you know, King David, King Solomon. Now it was going to be King Rehoboam, who was, who was his son. That was going to be the, the kingdom. Uh, but then the kingdom split. And that's what we'll see in verse 12 and 25 now. Then Jeroboam built Shechem, and Mount Ephraim, and dwelt there, and went out of there, and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now, now listen, listen what was in his heart. Again, this is the southern kingdom, and uh, so we have Judah, and then we have what now becomes a split as far as the kingdoms. And Jeroboam said in his heart, now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. He was concerned about that. So he was down here. We had, you know, uh, uh, Solomon died. Now we have Rehoboam. And uh, Jeroboam, he was concerned about the people in his area of joining Rehoboam. He's worried about his own skin. So, and Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of his people turn again unto their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So he was concerned that, uh, that they would go up, they would all worship at Jerusalem. And then verse 28. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves. This is Jeroboam. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So he's talking to Israel here and not the tribe of Judah up, up there. But he's talking to other Israel. And he said, now, it's, it's too much for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. And they didn't have cars and airplanes and things like that. Oh, that's too much for you to do that if you go all the way up to Jerusalem. Of course, we know why he didn't want them. He was going to lose 
his authority and everything. And they'd be worshiping uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, so he said, so what he did, he uh, made calves. And he said, this is the God that brought you out of Egypt. You don't need to go up to Jerusalem and offer those sacrifices and everything. In verse 29, and he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before one, even as a dam. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people, which were not the sons of Levi. And Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month and the 15th day of the month, likened to the feast in Judah. And he offered up upon the altar... So did he in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made, and he placed in Bethel the priest of the high places which he had made. So we see Jeroboam. So Rehoboam was a king, Judah. Again, the kingdom were split. And Jeroboam said, now, you, you don't need to go up there. You don't have to go sacrifice in the, the tabernacle or the temple. You don't have to go up there. We can do the same thing here. So he made priests. He went through the motions, but he did not start out with priestly material. And they offered the same sacrifices and everything that they offered up at, at uh, Jerusalem. But was it acceptable? And the answer, no, it was not acceptable. Uh, chapter 13. So again, this might seem innocent. You might say, well, yeah, that is a burden for them to travel all the way up to Jerusalem, walk and, and ride their camels or whatever they had and didn't have any McDonald's along the way. But uh, he said, That's, yeah, why can't we just do it here? So did God, ex they made priests, they offered sacrifices, but was it acceptable to God? So chapter 13 and verse 1. And behold, there came a man of God out of Judah uh, by the word of the Lord into Bethel. And Jeroboam uh, stood by the altar to burn incense. And he cried against the altar. This is the man of the Lord that was sent. And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord... Uh, behold, a child shall be born unto thee in the house of David, Josiah by name, and upon thee shall he offer, shall he offer the priest of the high places who burn incense upon thee, and men's bones shall be burned upon thee. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Behold, the altar shall be torn down, and the ashes that are upon it shall be poured out. So this was the altars that they built, that Jeroboam built, to offer these sacrifices, just like up at Jerusalem. But it was not acceptable to God. You see what was prophesied here. And then, uh, well, maybe we, I was going to read a little more. And in fact, if you have time this week, uh, read the uh, 11th, 12th, 13th chapter of Kings and have a, a better understanding of it. Uh, let's see. So I'm going to skip through some of it here. So in, still in, this, in the 13th chapter and verse 33. After this thing, Jeroboam, who's one of the made priests, too hard on you to go up to Jerusalem. We'll just do it here. It doesn't make any difference. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way. What was the evil way? Making priests that was not priestly material. Offering sacrifices that were not offered where they were supposed to be offered. That was his evil way. After this thing, Jeroboam returned not from his evil way, but made again the lowest of the people priests. Priests of the high places. Whosoever would, he consecrated him, and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing became sin unto the house of Jeroboam, even to cut it off and to destroy it from the face of the earth. Now, when we look at this uh, cut off and everything like that, 
you know, Israel, as they come into the promised land, there were certain lands set apart for different tribes, and they divided it, and this became inheritance. It would be passed on from generation to generation, and this was an inheritance. But through this, Jeroboam's seed was going to be cut off, would no longer be that land would be passed down to them and, and their genealogies. So again, they went through the same motions as they did up in Jerusalem, but it was not acceptable. And uh, Jeroboam reigned, I believe, for about 20 or 21 years and then cut off. Uh, let's see, chapter 12 and 31, I don't think I read that. Uh, well, no, I guess I did. Uh, 12 and 31, and he made an house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. So we can say, does it make any difference? And we look in the scripture and certainly it makes a difference. So we had a nation worshiping at Jerusalem, a place appointed, a, a particular uh, priesthood to offer up the acceptable sacrifices. And then we have this new leader down here, Jeroboam. Oh, it's too much trouble if you go all the way up to Jerusalem. Doesn't make any difference. Although God said that, it doesn't really make any difference. We can offer sacrifices here. And here, we'll make priests. We got this oil. We know, we know the, the formula to, to have this certain oil blended and everything like that. And, and we, got, we can make the clothing and we'll just make priests here and we'll offer up those sacrifices just like they do in Jerusalem. doesn't make any difference. Well, it did make a difference, didn't it? Uh, <clears throat> making priests that were not priestly material, it was wrong. And I said, well, it seems like it should be right. <laughs> but it's not. And you see, Jeroboam and his descendants were, were no more. I'm not talking about their afterlife. I'm talking about the earthly inheritance. Afterlife would be another subject. <clears throat> uh, so they didn't have the proper authority to even offer those sacrifices. First uh, Peter chapter 2. <clears throat> First Peter chapter two and verse five. Ye also, as living stones, <clears throat> are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So here he's saying, okay, this is a different priesthood. He says, you're uh, uh, made up of living stones. Now, we had a <clears throat> house in Jerusalem made up of stones. The, the, before, it was the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then the temple. <clears throat> and it was built <clears throat> a certain way. And that was a place of worship. I, that was the acceptable place of worship. Jeroboam was not acceptable place or way of worship. So here he says, ye are as living stones. Build up a spiritual house. A holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable by God or to God by Jesus Christ. So no longer offering blood of bulls and goats. And I never will forget my conversation with one individual. And I said, all those sacrifices that Israel offered, blood of bulls and goats and calves and turtle dove, I said, it never took away one single sin. The Passover lamb never took away one single sin. And his thought was, boy, that was a big waste. <laughs> and... Look at it in one sense, uh, but but what what was 
What was it? What was all those sacrifices, all those blood sacrifices? All it was pointing to Jesus Christ. That's what it was all pointing to. <clears throat> so here we see it's a spiritual house now <clears throat> made up of living stones to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And then to save time, let's just go over to verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, that you should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now we apply this to the church age, not to the afterlife. Afterlife, we can talk about outer darkness and light and so forth. This is talking about in the age of the churches. There is a, a darkness out there. And we're in that darkness, so he brings us into the light. Where's the light? Where the candlestick is. The candlestick is the light. Remember in the, uh, uh, in, in the tabernacle and temple, they had the, they had the candlestick that they, they would burn continually and have oil in it. That was the light in that place of worship. Now he's placed his comforter, the candlestick, in his true churches. And he takes us from darkness into the marvelous light of his church. He does that. Uh, <clears throat> out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, I remember being in darkness. And I remember not seeing, I see, I think... Uh, in the scripture lesson this morning, uh, Chuck said, Calls me to hear thy loving kindness. Well, you know, before he brought me out of darkness, I didn't hear his loving kindness. When I began my study of the scriptures and I started Genesis 1 1, I was going to learn it. <laughs> And I got up into the Mosaic Law and all the sacrifices and touch not, taste not, handle not. I didn't see his mercy. I didn't see his loving kindness. Why? I was in darkness. Uh, but we should pray that he calls us to see his loving kindness and his mercy. When we look at the law, the letter of the law, and we look at it and say, oh, that, that Sabbath thing doesn't mean that on Saturday or Sunday, Saturday would be the seventh day of the week, doesn't mean that we can't travel so far. Definitely we're not to defile the Sabbath, but what is it? Jesus Christ is our Sabbath. He is our rest. That we don't defile by our labor. Uh, in the law, which is more than Ten Commandments, I often refer to garments. Said you're not to wear mixed garments. Can't wear it blended. Well, what difference does it make if we have cotton and rayon or polyester or whatever it is? What difference does it make? Well, that doesn't. But what is a garment? Garment is our covering. What is our covering? Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Now, if we take that and mix it with something else, such as my works and my goodness, we've broken the law. And that's what the Old Testament law teaches but we've broken the law uh, of uh, the garments, having mixed garments, but not the tag on your clothing. Uh, okay, so the Lord was here, his ministry, as we uh, look at it and study, it was about three and a half years. And... Uh, in that time, he began to assemble this house of this royal priesthood of living stones. Not the literal tabernacle and temple, but living stones. And, and let's go to Acts chapter 1. I'm going to hurry. Uh, Acts chapter 1. And... Uh, I hope I have time to get this all in. Acts chapter 1, and let's start in verse 4. I'm going to have to kind of hurry here a little bit. Uh, in verse 4, 
that the Lord had been crucified, resurrected. He hadn't ascended to be with the Father. The cloud hadn't received him up yet. So he was still here on earth. And uh, so he said, and in verse 4, And being assembled together with them, commanded them. The Lord doesn't offer suggestions. <laughs> commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard from me. Well, he had just told them uh, uh, just before this about the comforter, the lead, guide, and direction to all truth. He said, it's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go away, the comforter will come. He was the first comforter. So here he told his disciples, part of the first church, and he'd been telling them he's gone away. And now he says, I'm commanding you that don't you depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise. Don't you go out witnessing. You wait for the promise of the Father, which says, hey, you heard from me. And again, John 13, 14, 15, uh, 16, it really tells us about that. Uh, and then verse 5 for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And again, the Holy Spirit has different offices. Don't, don't be confused by that. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit as the abiding comforter. Again, John 13, 14, 15, 16 uh, makes that very clear. Uh, John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou uh, at this time uh, restore again the kingdom of Israel? That's what they thought he came for, to be his earthly king. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now listen, verse 8. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And again, this is the Holy Spirit in a particular office, the office of the Comforter. Future, you shall receive power. Now, they had power when he was here with them. They had power, they had authority, but he was going away. But you shall receive power, future, after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. Did they have this authority at that particular time? And the answer is no. He said, you will, and you will be witnesses to me. But at that time, they were not to go out. They were not to witness. They were not to go to Samaria, which is a, 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 big, a big deal. And also another lesson. But he said, I don't, I don't want you to. I want you to wait to be, you be endued with this power from on high. Do you think that was going to be important? They were not to go witness until that. We talked before. They also needed authority to choose Matthias for a different time while he was going before Pentecost, before this power came. Needed authority to choose Matthias so they had the 12. And he breathed on them, said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Wasn't a comfort, it was an office of the Holy Spirit that they would have the authority to choose Matthias. Uh, so this power and authority must be passed down. Church to church to church. And uh, we're out of time. You can read in Acts chapter 2 when this comforter came on the day of Pentecost, sound of a mighty rushing wind, and it, it filled the house where they were sitting. No record of it splashing out anywhere else. It filled the house. And that was the Holy Spirit as the abiding comforter. And it was passed down from church after church after church. Uh, so Paul, and well, let me try to make one more point. So Saul of Tarsus, uh, you know, he was, I believe, the biggest enemy that the, the church had at that time. And uh, the Lord told Ananias, said, okay, Saul is a chosen vessel. 
and you go to him. So, just a, a question to keep in your mind. So on the day of Pentecost, as promised, the Lord went to the glory, sent the church down, or sent the, the Holy Spirit as a comforter into that body, into that church. Sound of a mighty rushing wind. You'll not hear that any other time. One time that took place. So, Apostle Paul, who has written by led by the Holy Spirit these books, many of these books in the Bible. How did he how did he get this knowledge, this authority? I mean, he was the biggest enemy the church had. And that's just my opinion, so do what you want with that. But he was a, a great enemy of the church, I believe the biggest. Uh, so and we know he has the truth when he changed him from Saul to Paul. We know he has the truth. Certainly we know he has the truth. How did he get leadership of this spirit, this comforter? It was poured into the church on the day of Pentecost. No record of a sound of mighty rushing wind. You say, well, that doesn't make any difference. Well, then why is it in there? It does make a difference. Sound of mighty rushing wind one time the spirit was given. And you can talk about Cornelius and his family, and that's a, a, an, another study. But uh, so Saul, who's going to be Paul, who has, the Lord has used through the Spirit to, to write these books in the Bible, how did he get this knowledge? The Spirit, as the Comforter was given on the day of Pentecost, Paul wasn't there. He was not there yet. He was, remember, he's persecuting this church. So how, how did Paul get connection to this Holy Spirit in the office of the Comforter? How did he get connection to that? Because without that, you know, we studied when we were talking about the vine. Without that, you can do nothing. So how did, how did Saul, Paul, have this connection to the Comforter, the Holy Spirit as the abiding Comforter? How did he do that? You can study about Paul all that you want, and great study, by the way. In fact, I'd like to study more about his particular missionary journeys and the, and the sequence that they came in. But how did he have connection to this Holy Spirit as the comforter? He had to have it to be led in the truth. He had to have it to be a witness, didn't he? Well, let's go to, and I know I'm going to get just a couple minutes long here, uh, Book of Acts Chapter 9. And it might do you well to start verse 1 and read all this, which we won't. Uh, Acts 9, and uh, let me read 6. And he trembling and astonished, this is after the Lord, you know, Paul, Saul was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church disciples and the Lord struck him down uh, in verse 6 and he trembling and astonished said Lord what will thou have me to do and the Lord said unto him arise go to the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do he didn't even tell him what to do he said you go here and there it'll be told you so the Lord didn't even tell him what to do he said you go here and there it will be told you what to do what all is going to happen there when he goes there? Uh, verse 10, and again, I'm skipping through this. Be well if you read this this week. And there arose a certain disciple at Damascus. Remember, that's where he's going to uh, have him killed and put in prison. Named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, uh, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. So Ananias was sent, and he was also told by God, You go to this particular one, this, this Saul. And Ananias, I won't read it, Ananias says, I've heard what he's done to the disciples now he's going to to uh, damascus to do this very thing in other words and i said lord are you sure we're talking about the same guy 
He said, yeah, you go. I'll show him great, great things he must suffer and everything. So Ananias went to him. But in verse uh, 17, And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared to thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we're, kind of, we're talking about the Holy Spirit now, which is the uh, place in the church and so forth. So Ananias said, the Lord sent me here for two reasons. You receive your sight. Remember, he was, uh, when he struck down, he's blinded. I believe this is a spiritual and physical sight, both. But he was sent for two reasons. He said, I'm sent for two reasons. You receive your sight, and you might be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just read here. Did both, well... Did both these things take place? The Lord said, told Ananias, you go for two reasons. Did they both take place? Well, it's easy to see, receive the sight. Let's read it, verse 18. And immediately they fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight and arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, and I believe this is spiritual and physical, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples who were at Damascus. So we see here he received sight. But he was, Ananias was sent to him. There was two things going to take place. Receive sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So we, we read he received his sight. Did he not receive the Holy Spirit? Does it not tell us? And yes, it does tell us. It says, he received sight and arose and was baptized. Baptism, uh, Galatians 3, 27 as many as, have as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And I use this same analogy. I put on this jacket this morning. I'm inside this jacket. Almost. So I put on this jacket. I'm inside this jacket. So Galatians 3.27, as many as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. Christ, the, the church, is the body of Christ. So, Saul, who the Lord changed his name to Paul, he received his sight. He was baptized into the body of Christ, where what abides? The abiding comfort that was given on the day of Pentecost. So he received sight and filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit by his connection to the body of Christ, which is the church. Uh, we're out of time. One more, one more point. There's a, a lot of buildings with steeples on them out here. Uh, by the way, Greg built our steeple out there, and very good job on that. Uh, but there are a lot of buildings with churches with steeples on them. People say, okay, we're a church, we're a church, we're a church. Does that mean that they are? Can they offer acceptable sacrifices? You know... And the priesthood had to be offered in a certain place, a certain way. Jeremiah, I wish I had a little more time, but in Jeremiah 2.13 said, They hewed out cisterns, cisterns, but they were dry. They wouldn't hold water. Today, men build buildings and start a club called, they call it a church, but it doesn't hold water. And to, to explain that, we need to go back to the foot washing. Remember, we studied about the foot washing. The Lord uh, rose from supper. He took water, poured it into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet. And that was a picture. And he said, you don't know what I'm doing now, but you will later. That was a picture of him le leaving here, laying aside his earthly garments, going to glory, pouring the comfort into the church on the day of Pentecost. 
And today, we still have that comfort, and we watch one another's spiritual walk with it by God's grace. But what if somebody just goes out here and thinks, you know, that looks like that'd be a pretty good thing. My goodness, I'll, I'll start this, and I'll be tax deductible and, and uh, uh, get all these funds coming in, do all this. They dig cisterns, but there's no water. No connection to the comforter. That has to come by authority. And, and one last point, gosh, I shouldn't even, probably shouldn't even mention it because I won't have time to give details or anything. But another point. You remember Paul was traveling and they run this group of people. And he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? And I said, what are you talking about? We don't know what you're talking about. He asked the question. Have, and by the way, these people, he baptized them. They had already had John's baptism. But Paul baptized them right there. And the question was, he asked them, so these were people who had John's baptism? And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Had you been in that upper room, when that Spirit came with the sound of mighty rushing wind, and they spoke with tongues, and that's not gibberish, and, and everybody heard in their own tongue, you would have known. But these people, that, that's proof. What does that prove? He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. That's proof that they were not there when the Lord said, you don't go anywhere. You wait till you be endued with this power from on high. So when he says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We don't know anything about any Holy Spirit. Well, that's proof they wasn't there with the others when the Holy Spirit as a comforter filled that house. They would have known. So now, I know I've got long and, and not going to have time to really explain this. So now we've got a group of people had John's baptism. Which is nothing wrong with John's baptism. And Paul says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? We don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. We saw the importance of the Holy Spirit. It'll lead God direct into all truth. So how are they going to get connected with the Holy Spirit? Baptized. That's why he they baptized them. As many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, a lot of people explain that and say, well, they had John's baptism, but they were trusting him for salvation. It doesn't say that. The question was, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Yes, they believed. The Holy Spirit calls them to believe. But they had no connection with the Comforter. They wasn't there on the day of Pentecost when it filled that house, didn't splash out anywhere. So to receive the leadership of that comforter, the Holy Spirit, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They had to have connection with it. They wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. They had John's baptism, but they wasn't there on the day of Pentecost. So they were baptized into the body of Christ where the comforter had been placed. So I hope we can see the importance of the church and the body of Christ and, and understanding the comforter being there, it, we can see, oh, that's, that's why the fruit bearing is in the Lord's church and not elsewhere. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We're dismissed.